Hey. How's it going, everybody? So, you know, um, in house group this week, several people had a birthday, actually. If you guys know that. But Anthony Spivey. Where's Anthony at? There's Anthony. Anthony, would you turn 23 or 24? 23 on Wednesday? On Wednesday. My birthday was actually on Thursday. I turned 25. We had a... we have America's birthday on Monday, um, and also Robbie's birthday is on Monday. So yeah, it was my 25th birthday, and I figured, man, I better do something kind of special. Like, this is a quarter of a century. I want to really, like, remember this one, do something different. And so I decided to go skydiving. Who all has been skydiving in the room? Awesome. It's a really cool experience. Uh, believe it or not, my parents, both my parents went skydiving too, Van and Lori, kind of like... Woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning and just did something crazy that you wouldn't expect. But uh, it was pretty terrifying, I'll be honest. You're like, you go up in this plane that is like this big. Like as I could reach both walls in the plane. And I'm just sitting down in this little plane. Atta- there's the guy I'm, I'm attached to him, my, like all the straps and stuff, because you have to go tandem. And, you know, a lot of it was stuff that you've kind of experienced before, like you know, who's ever done some kind of little training with someone where they're like, hey, here's how you do something. So we had to go through the training. And then we put harnesses on. And then we were in a plane and we're riding in a plane. And up to that point, like, I've done all that before, right? Like, you've experienced all that. But the moment they open the door and you look down and like, literally like here, there, that's outside of the plane. You look down and there's like 8,000 feet of sky. You're just like, (laughs) all right, here we go. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I don't think a couple of years ago I would have gone skydiving. Like, honestly, I think I used to be something I actually thought of intentionally about that I was, like, scared of. But believe it or not, something that's really broken, um, got, helped me get free from fear in a lot of ways is power evangelism. And, and for me, what I've figured out is the fear of man was, like, the root of a lot of fear in my life. You know, we have... There's different, there's different places where we kind of like get tripped up. We're susceptible to being scared of things. But what I found out for myself was a lot of it was rooted in like the fear of man, the fear of what other people think. And you know what the fear, you know what the opposite of the fear of man is? Fear of God. That's the only fear we're actually supposed to cultivate in our life is a healthy fear of God. And when we have, when we're blinded by a fear of man, we're blind, when we're um, really concerned with what other people are thinking about us, that's all self-focus. You know, we're worried about what people are thinking of me, what's going to happen next, thinking about myself. But the fear of God actually draws our attention to God. And that when our attention is drawn to God, we don't really like we're not worried about what other people think. So if you want to um, get free from the fear of man, go skydiving. That's basically my point. But no. So tonight, the message I'm bringing to us is uh, from the book of Luke. Um, it's who, who all knows the story of the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? Cool. It's a good story. I was actually reading um, a commentary this morning about Luke. And something I noticed that, or something I, I read that I've never known before or never realized before is that Luke is the only Gentile to write um, any book of the Bible. So he's the only person that wasn't an Israelite, that wasn't a Jew to write the Bible. So there's like a whole really interesting perspective that Luke brings to us when we read Luke's Gospels. It's, it's not focused for a Jewish audience. It's focused for us, right? Like, is anybody here Jewish? Or have, like, 
So, right? So it's like mo- mostly focused. So a couple of people, but it's mostly focused towards Gentiles to, to all of us. So um, let's read. Let's jump into Luke 24 and uh, see this cool, this, this story in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. So we're going to start in verse 13. Perfect. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? It's funny, right? Jesus, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, so when they drew near to the village where they were going, he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had known to them and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. All right. I love this story because it's so relatable. It, I feel like as, as I read it, I feel like I'm in it. Like I can relate to those guys in a sense that I could totally see myself living this out. I could see like Luke and I, you know, walking down the road, seven miles. So seven miles is like from where we are right now to the Forest Park House group. So Luke and I are just like on a walk to Forest Park House Group and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, but we don't even know it's him until after he's left, right? Like that's something that all of us could, we can, we can grasp what it would be like to just be walking and having like a bummer moment and going somewhere. There's a couple other things in it that like the first time I read it, that catch my attention. I just, I just want to point them out to you. I don't have anything like, profound to say about them, but I think it's so interesting that they were, they were kept from recognizing him. Like, I think that's a big question just to know in understanding the whole scripture is like right at the beginning, like this, this, this story could have gone a totally different direction. Jesus could have walked, drawn near to them and be like, hey, it's me, <laughs> right? Like, wh- why didn't he do that? 
That's a question to ask. Like, that's pretty crucial to the story that Jesus, that they were kept from recognizing him. Another thing uh, that I really like is that when he was, so verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Isn't it funny that talking and walking and interacting with him for probably like more than two hours, like to walk seven miles, that's going to take you maybe three hours. They were with him for two hours and they didn't recognize him. But when he broke the bread, they recognized him. Like, what's up with that? That's another question to ask yourself. What's the key there? What, why, did, um, why, did, uh, why did that open their eyes to him? So those are two questions I have that I didn't feel like God really spoke to me about. Otherwise, that's what I'd preach on right now. But why don't you pray about that, okay? And then like, come and tell me why you think they were kept from recognizing him. And come and tell me why uh, it was when he broke the bread that they recognized him. That, that's just so weird to me. Like, why was it when he broke the bread they recognized him? I don't know. But here's the thing that does jump out to me in this passage that, that I just love so much. Verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Here's my translation of that. Wow, did you feel that? <laughs> oh my gosh, did you feel that? That was, I knew, I knew something was special. That I felt something the whole time we were with him. The whole time he was talking to us about the Bible. I could feel something. Didn't your heart burn within you? They were experiencing God. They were having an experience with God's presence. I'm convinced that we as human beings are designed to experience God. I'm convinced that just, just reading about him, just knowing about him, isn't enough. That's not, that's not the whole deal. That's not all we're called to. We're designed to actually feel him, to touch him, to taste him, to see him. Personally, I've never touched him, right? Like, has anyone here ever touched Jesus? I think people probably have. Like, that's cool. Like, had a vision or something. Have you ever tasted him, smelled him, heard him? Like, that, there's a whole four senses. I, I've felt him before, right? Like, who's felt God's presence before? Who's had an encounter where they felt the tangible presence of God? So if that's all you've done, then you start praying for more. Start saying, God, I want to touch you. I want to taste you. I want to see you. I want to smell you. There's more of God to experience. But what we should do is be thankful that we can feel him <laughs> and start stewarding that and start recognizing when we feel his presence and realizing that's a good thing. We're experiencing God himself when his presence comes and rests on us. Like, I think there's, we can, there's, Okay, so look here. In, in Psalms, David, in David, in the book of Psalms, which is written by a guy named David, or a lot of the Psalms written by David, he says in Psalm 84 2, famous Psalm that I'm sure a lot of you guys recognize. And you know, David was called a man after God's own heart. So, like, he's someone that knew God. He was, to, be, to become a man after God's own heart, you have to spend time around God. Like that's something you pick up from being around him, not just from knowledge, it's from an experience with God. And David put it this way. He said, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Other translations say, my heart and flesh cry out to the living God. So the person who spent more time around God's presence, more time in the tabernacle than anyone we know. He said, my heart and flesh cry out for God. 
I'm crying out for an experience with him, to feel him, to know him. What was it that set Stephanie? So Stephanie, um, they came up and shared the testimony of gay pride. She didn't get to really um, tease this point out. But that guy that came over with the mic, that uh, said, like, hey, these are the good guys to come to. He was actually like there to, just to bash Christians. That, that, that's the whole purpose of that guy was there for. Because honestly, there's probably a lot of stupid Christians that went to gay pride just to like be hateful and not loving. So this guy was there just to bash Christians. But what was different about Stephanie and Brittany and Jesse? They were carrying God's presence. And that guy could sense that in some way or another, just by their joy, their kindness, the love. And he came over and he actually endorsed them. What was it that led that girl into a relationship with Jesus there at gay pride that day? It wasn't um, like an exposition of the book of Acts or an exposition of Luke 24. It was an experience with God, right? Everyone is desperate to experience God. And we get to carry that. We get to bring that out. We get to deliver that to others. Um, There's two kind of like, I I personally have fallen into this, but I've really seen other people at at times fall into these two kind of like bad ways of thinking about God's presence that I want to point out. And, and there's some, there's some uh, credit to this because it's not good to chase an experience, right? Like that's, that's not the point of Christianity, isn't to chase an experience, isn't to like, you know, have, have a feeling. But we got to recognize that when we're experiencing God, when we're having that feeling, we're experiencing a person. So it's okay actually to chase a person. Sometimes an experience will follow that. Sometimes it won't. But the point is we're chasing a person. We're not chasing a feeling, chasing an experience. We're chasing a person. And when he reveals himself to you, you feel it a lot of times, right? Like, do you think that your five senses, the primary reason they're created is for earth or for God? Right? Like, we are an instrument to experience God. That's the primary purpose of why we are able to feel is so that we can interact with God. It's selfish to think otherwise, in my opinion. Um, but here are the two kind of like, uh, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, just the ways we can mess up, the kind of like bad ways we can think that will um, turn us off to experiencing more of God's presence. The first one is undervaluing it. It's, it's, it's a sad thing to get to a place where you're so used to God's presence that you're not even appreciative of when you're experiencing it. You know, every time that you feel his presence. Every single time, that's God himself there, like touching you, hugging you, exposing himself to you. Every time we feel his presence, break through his presence. We just have to open ourselves up and say, God, whatever you want to do right now, I'm open to it. But that should be every time we sense him. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be able just to go, oh yeah, there's God's presence. I'm, I'm just used to that. Like when we're down here worshiping and you're experiencing his presence, we got to like place value on that, cherish that, recognize that that's something special. The flip, the flip side to that, like the other side of that coin is downplaying his presence. And it's, it's similar to undervalue, but it's almost like saying, hey, don't chase an experience. Don't chase God's presence. Don't chase this, that. That's just like a poverty kind of like, that's like a fearful way of thinking. Oh, if we experience it too much, we won't read the Bible anymore or something like that. We shouldn't downplay his presence. We shouldn't act like it's not a big deal. Big, a big deal. We should like dive, chase it headlong, go after it. Um... A couple of years ago, I was down in Clifton at the Esquire Theater on Ludlow, and I was waiting for a friend to see him, waiting for a friend to see a movie. And so I'm standing out in front of the Esquire, and there's this. I noticed this young man, young guy, walking uh, down the street towards me, 
And he was on the other side of the street at that point. And I was like, I don't really feel like crossing the street to like get to him. I'm going to, you know, well, he, sorry, lift this out. I see this guy walking on the street, this young man who's limping. He has a limp in his step. And I really wanted to like, you know, pray for him. But I just felt like, hey, I don't want to miss my friend. I'm just going to wait here. If I'm supposed to pray for him, he'll cross the street and he'll, you know, come over here. Well, guess what? When you say a prayer like that, they always cross the street. <laughs> so he crossed the street and he starts walking down, you know, in front of me. And um, he gets like right in front of me. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up? I just noticed you're limping. I was wondering what happened. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I, I actually hurt myself playing football. I was like, oh, cool. You, you play football. What happened? He's like, well, I didn't actually hurt myself. I was just working out and we were like had leg day today. So my legs are just really sore. So nothing's actually hurt. I'm just kind of like sore from working out. I was like, okay, well, in my head, I was like, well, I guess, you know, you don't need healing for that. That's like a good pain, right? Like that's supposed to be there. That's more muscle building and everything, which by the way, I haven't experienced that in a long time, just to be honest. So (laughs) I was a little jealous of him. I was like, get away, get out of here, man. But uh, I want to do this really quick. Just pause that story. Who in the room just wants to be more engaged in like power evangelism? You just stand up. I just want to pray for you guys. If you just want like a deeper heart for that, if you want, if you want to push into that more, I feel like God really wants to just minister to you people right now, you people. So put your hands out. I'm just going to pray for you really quick. And there's no shame in not standing up. It's just who is, who's, who's, whose heart is it tugging on right now? I'm going to pray for you. So Jesus, thank you that you're the great evangelist, that you're our model. Thank you, God, that it's your empowerment. It's your boldness that pushes us towards us. It's your love. It's nothing about us. So right now, I just bless everyone in this room. Thank you that the righteous are as bold as lions. And right now, let the boldness of God come upon you. Let the boldness of the Holy Spirit come and rest on you. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest on them. Empower them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So... This kid's walking by. I'm jealous because he's been working out and I haven't. And I, uh, I said, okay, well, dude, can I just pray that kind of a general blessing for you? He, his name was Duran. He was probably 15. Um, he was going to, like, I think, Aiken High School or some high school around there, West High maybe, on the football team. And I said, Duran, can I just pray for you? Just pray that God blesses you and, you know, like, just a general blessing for you. He's like, yeah, sure. So I just put my hand on his shoulder. and I said, God, I just welcome your presence. Come and rest on him. Pray film and bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Short prayer like that. Say goodbye to him. He walks away. I go into the movie theater. So I'm standing in the movie theater for five more minutes, waiting for my friend to get there. And I'm like on my phone or something. And I just see out of my peripheral vision, someone like kind of waving their arms. And I look up and it's Duran. And I'm like, what? Like, what's he doing? So I come outside. I walk out onto the sidewalk. I'm like, what's up, man? What do you, what do you want? He's like, motioning me to come outside. And he's like, I don't know what you did, but I'm not sore anymore. He's like, I'm not like, I don't feel, I don't feel sore. I don't know what happened, like, but I'm not sore anymore. And I was just as surprised as him. I was like, well, what? Like, but you know what that was? That was God's presence. That was just the presence of God spilling over onto someone and blessing them. And just in a little tangible way, you know, like say, hey, I love you, man. I'm just going to bless you with my presence. He just, God just splashed over and the soreness left. That's, you know, God's presence is like our main tool in evangelism, you know? Rick, where's Rick at? Rick Rhodes, he'll, had, he'll, 
He does some of the wildest stuff in evangelism. If you really want prayer for that, or you want to learn how to do evangelism more and stuff, good around him. But he's led so many people to, to Jesus and so many people have gotten saved from him just praying for them to experience God's presence. That's it. Like he'll go out to people in the mall, like gangsters in the mall and be like, hey, do you want to experience God's presence right now? And they're thinking, who the heck is this like white dude with shorts up his thighs and like long, like what is happening? And Rick, <laughs> and Rick will say, hey, put your hands out. Just put your hands out. They'll put their hands out and he'll go, fire of God, fall on their hands right now. Fire, come right now. Just like, just goes right for it. He'll be like, what are you doing? Like, my hands are so hot. And then he'll, and then it's easy. You know, he just leads him, leads him to Jesus right on the spot. God, God's presence is like our main tool in evangelism. Who's heard of Chris Overstreet before? He's a really cool guy. He's one of the pastors over at Bethel um, Reading. He's the outreach pastor there. He's a, one of the co-authors of this book, Walking in the Supernatural. And this week I was reading... Um, a couple of stories, or I was, I was, I actually read a chapter book by him, and I just want to share it with you really quick. So this is a cool, this is a cool story about God's presence. Two cool stories, actually. Our teams will often ask people if they have ever felt or experienced the presence of God. On one occasion, a young man was asked this in a park. He said he had not. The team asked if he would like to, and he said yes. He was instructed to hold out his hands. As he did, a team member prayed that he would feel the person of the Holy Spirit. As he began to feel the presence of God on him, he described it as coolness or a tingling sensation running through his body. After he experienced God's presence, he was simply asked if he would like to receive Jesus into his heart. Without hesitation, he said, yes, this is supernatural evangelism. Well, here's the next story. While picking up a friend of mine at the Sacramento airport, I walked by a group of women and told them that Jesus loved them. To my surprise, 10 minutes later, one of the young women from that group came over to me and asked if I could pray for her. I immediately said, yes, what can I pray for you about? That's a pretty sweet deal, right? Like they came and asked him for prayer. <laughs> when we just start stepping out in a little bit of love, getting just outside of our comfort zone a little bit and telling people that Jesus loves them, things start to happen. Like that phrase, Jesus loves you, for some reason has gotten a little downplayed. We're almost like slightly ashamed to say it or we... For me, I've, I've felt in the past like, man, it's almost like a cliche to say that. But you know, those are actually anointed words. Jesus loves you. That's like the gospel in and of itself. Jesus loves you. We should never be ashamed to say that to everyone and anyone. Our day should look like this. Walking into Starbucks, someone opens over for us. Thanks, Jesus loves you. Get your drink from the barista. Hey, thank you so much. Great. This is a great Frappuccino. I'm ordering for Jen. I wouldn't drink a Frappuccino. And I just say, Jesus loves you. You know, like, we can't be scared to tell people Jesus loves them. That's, it. That's a really great first step in evangelism. If you stood up and you're wanting to push into more evangelism, just start telling more people that Jesus loves them, and, and stuff will happen. I immediately said, yes, what can I pray for you about? She said, my lover just left me, and my children have been taken from me. She explained to me that she was living a, le living a lesbian lifestyle. I told her that Jesus loved her, and Jesus had a plan for her life. I told her that Jesus could transform her. As I was speaking these very words into her heart, the atmosphere around us began to change. She was probably expecting me to tell her that she was a sinner. But after I explained the love of the Father to her, her heart began to melt. I asked her, would you like to receive Jesus into your heart and to be forgiven of your sins? She said, yes. So I led her in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into her heart and to ask Jesus to forgive her of her sins. 
After praying with her, I asked her if it was okay for me to lay my hand on her head and pray for her while in the airport. Uh Uh-oh. She said, yes. I said, are you ready? She said, yes. I said, are you sure? She said, yes. As I asked her the last time, I felt the power of God come upon me. I felt faith arise in my heart and the power of God that was at hand to see this woman's life completely transformed. As I laid my hand upon her head and began to pray, she fell out cold in the airport under the power of God. While she was lying on the ground, people started to surround her and ask if she was all right. They said they were available to call 911. I told them, no, that's okay. She's having an encounter with God right now. Two or three other people came by and asked if she was okay and also offered to call 911. One of them was a police officer. (laughs) The last gentleman who came over to her asked me what was going on and I told him she was having an encounter with God. He started to laugh in a mocking way. She She sat up shortly after this gentleman began to mock her and said, let him laugh. He does not understand what just happened to me. I said, what did you feel when I laid my hand on your head? She said, I felt fire go through me. She explained to me that she was planning on going home and committing suicide that night. But because of the encounter she just had with God, her life now had hope. Isn't that so good? Does anybody want this book? Come and have it. You can have it. Whoever wants it. <laughs> so there's a guy that's been coming to uh, the Westchester house group I'm not going to say like you know uh, just, just to protect kind of his identity and stuff I'm not going to tell you who he was or if he was a leader if he wasn't a leader or anything but about a month and a half ago during one of our ministry times um, Nick Hunter was actually in the ministry time Nick's amazing man he really is good at creating an atmosphere where God's presence is going to come. Nick is like super big on emphasizing joy and freedom. And you know that like in God's presence is the fullness of joy. (laughs) And in God's presence is freedom. So like two of the things to do to create an atmosphere that has God's presence is to be happy and free. But anyway, so Nick is creating this atmosphere of like um, joy and freedom. And it was just God's presence was so like, arriving in the room that this guy got emboldened and he just stood up and said to everybody, Hey, I got to tell you guys something. Okay. So he says for the past, um, like several years, past five or six years, I've really been struggling with lust and everything that goes with that, you know, addiction to looking at things I shouldn't pornography and stuff. And he's like, and I just like, I want to be done with it. Like, I know that being vulnerable right now is going to be a step in that direction for me to be free. I just want to be real with everyone and say, hey, I'm not going to tolerate this in my life anymore. I want to be free of it. And of course, everyone's just like, come on, like cheering and excited for him. And then he goes, he says, and you know, for a long time, I was really um, questioning my sexuality. And I wasn't sure like if I was really supposed to be a guy or if God had messed up and I was supposed to be a girl. And he said, but ever since I've been coming to Vineyard Northwest, I've been hearing God say to me, you're a man, you're a man. You know why that happens? Because we've created an atmosphere of God's presence. No one came up to him and said, hey, I have a word of knowledge for you. I feel like you've been struggling with your sexuality. God says you're a man. We, we've created an atmosphere where just by entering into this place, just by entering into the basement of the Corian House Group on a Friday night, just by going into the Bible study up in Brent Richburg's older room at the Forest Park House Group, 
God's presence is there. Because we're a people that value his presence. We don't undervalue it. We don't downplay it. We recognize that God's presence is God himself. How could we possibly downplay God? Right? Like when we experience that, when someone's shaking and you're like, man, what's up with that? Open your mind and just say, hey, maybe that's more of God for them right now. And maybe, maybe you actually want some more of that. Maybe God's presence touching us doesn't look like skipping and floating and like looking like totally normal or whatever, you know? Something cool I've heard actually is that like a good analogy for this. We as humans, we're like a hundred watt light bulbs, okay? Just, just go with me here. Like say, we as human beings are 100 watt light bulbs. God is probably like what? One billion watt light bulb or something? Like, you know, a trillion what do you think is going to happen when in a trillion watt light bulb gets, like you plug a, what, what happens when you plug a hundred watt light bulb into a trillion lot light bulb socket? <laughs> like it just explodes. Like we can't totally understand and just like classify what it's going to look like to experience God's presence. We got to be open to knowing that, hey, this might be different than something I've experienced before. Well, that person's experience over there might be different than what I've experienced, but it doesn't mean it's not God. And a lot of times if there's like fear coming and like, you're feeling weird. That's something that God's actually trying to root out in your heart. That's exposing something about yourself that you need to pray through and you need to process. And um, this isn't to say that every single thing someone does when they're experiencing God's presence is them. You know, like we're human beings. We, we experience God. We process them through our personal faculties and through our experiences. And so it's not like Every single thing someone experiences when they're experiencing God, everything they do is totally indicative of God leading them to do that. But we are not the ones that need to cast judgment in that position. Like leave it to pastors to pastor people. Like I'm all for like on a Sunday morning, create an atmosphere here or like at the very beginning of house group, create an atmosphere where somebody can come in who has no idea what house group is like, no idea what Jesus is. And they're not going to be like, why is that person like flopping on the floor right now? Like, yeah, that's probably not going to be the thing that, get someone to trust us <laughs> and to be like, hey, I'm going to open my heart up here right now, you know? So I think there's times where we kind of got to pastor and help people process what they're experiencing with God. But the, the bottom line is we want to lean into experience with God. We want to lean into his presence. We want to lean into more of him, not lean away. You know, when we're judging, when we're fearful, we're leaning away from it. Really quick story, or really quick add-on to the story about that guy who's, who came to house group, who just got his world rocked, and then um, his, he brought his younger brother two weeks ago, and his younger brother has been having night terrors for three years in a row. Every single night. Like, I couldn't even believe that. I can't even, like, I don't know how to even classify that in my head. Like, I asked him three times, like, wait, every night? You mean, like, every single night? He's like, every night for the past three years. I've had the same night terrors about my family dying, about the people around me, people closest to me dying these like horrible deaths. And so he, he, brought his, he brought him to house group to get prayer. And ever since two Fridays ago, he hasn't had a single night terror. That's because we've pre- created a place where God's presence can come in and transform and change people's lives. We've cultivated that. We've been intentional about valuing his presence. And just to, the, the kind of point of what I'm uh, of reading the road to Emmaus earlier, I want to pull out um, five principles, five things I noticed that Cleopas, and I'm just going to call the other disciple Joe, that Cleopas and Joe, like, what were they doing? 
What was it that led up to them having this encounter with Jesus where they realized that, wow, my heart was burning within me? What were the things that were happening that led up to this moment? And these are just going to be kind of like, I just want to go through five quick, actually, they're probably not going to be quick, but I want to go through five like tips, kind of like principles for how to steward an atmosphere that um, values God's presence. All right. So these, these five things I'm going to say aren't in and of themselves things that we like should do to get more God's presence. These are just like ways I would love to see our culture stewarding God's presence better. Does that make sense? These are things that we as house group can do to continue to um, build on and create an atmosphere that welcomes God's presence. All right. So if we look at verse 14 and 15, it says, this is back in Luke, you know, the, the story I just read. And they were walking and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love this. It says they were talking with each other. And this is again, they were talking and discussing together. Here's the first principle I want to pull out. Jesus is attracted to community that is centered around him. When there's community that is focused on the person of Jesus, when we're focused on who God is, that attracts him. That attracts his presence. You know, it says in Matthew that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. So when two or more people start talking about me, I come and hang out. That's what Jesus is saying. So, you know, we can be aware of that. Next time you're sitting in Starbucks and you're talking about Jesus, take a second, just pause and go, hey, Jesus is here with us. Let's, let's just experience his presence and just say, God, I just want to be aware of your presence. Try it scandalously right there in Starbucks. Just say, God. I want to experience your presence right now. I want to be aware of your presence. And it's important that we actually take the time to be aware of it because we can only steward and give away and we only have authority over what we're aware of. You can't steward something. You can't um, act off of something that you're not even aware of. So we need to actually discipline ourselves to be aware of God's presence, to experience it and to know, hey, God's presence just came in the room. I'm experiencing him right now. I experience him physically on my body. Bill jo- I heard Bill Johnson give an amazing illustration about this. He was talking about um, these, like these series of tests that, air, uh, that, that pilots have to go through before they can get their pilot's license. And I think it's like the whole gamut, whether you're in the Air Force, commercial, private, whatever. Any kind of pilot has to go through these testings where they put them in a flight simulator that's a pressurized chamber, and they gradually lower the air pressure in the, in the flight simulator. They gradually lower it, and the point of, lower it, and the point of that is for the, the pilot to recognize when he is when his breathing becomes labored, so he can recognize okay the the air pressures like our air pressure's gone we've lost our pressure in case of like an emergency you know and the point of that is they have to be able to recognize when something is changing in the same way we should be able to recognize it when we're experiencing God's presence we should know hey. Like for Wilson, when I, the, one of the first things I feel when God's presence, when I sense his presence or whatever, is just like tingling in my hands. I feel like I basically get the goosebumps all over. I've learned to be aware of that. I learned to say, hey, when I'm walking through the store and I feel that, that probably means that there's somebody around me that needs prayer, that God wants to do something. But I didn't just always know that. Literally, I had to like convince myself that was God's presence because I just for so long thought that, that was me just like, getting the goosebumps, you know? I thought like the, the air changed in the room. 
But then when you're like, you know, outside in 90 degree heat and all of a sudden you get the goosebumps and you feel chills, like, you know, hey, that's probably not like the air conditioning kicking on. That's God's presence. Aaron Ross is a great example of this. In Sockham this year, at least two different times during Sockham, he just got this like holy discontent. He just got aware of God's presence and got up and left the teaching and came out to like the front of the church, those doors. And both times he found someone either like trying to come into the church or walking through the parking lot who needed prayer. One of the, both of those times that people got healed and one of the times that person gave their life to Jesus and took their wrist brace off and like their wrist was totally healed. But how did that happen? It was because Aaron was aware of God's presence. He was aware of something. This is especially important when maybe we're not feeling the best. Like if you're having a bad day, if you're feeling sad, think about um, Cleopas and Joe. Like talk about a bad day. The dude they just followed for their, the past three years is dead. How easy would it have been for them to say, hey, just get away, man. Sorry, we can't take him. This is a two-person deal. Like we just want to walk and talk together. Like that would have been easy to do, right? But no, they, they included somebody in. They welcomed Jesus' presence in without even knowing it. In the same way, we need to stay outwardly focused in our thinking. The more focused we are on ourselves, the less focused we are on God's presence. And when we take the focus off ourselves and onto God, that's when like people get changed. That's when we experience him. That's when people get welcomed in and amazing things happen that we didn't think were possible. So that's my first point. Jesus is attracted to community that is centered around him. Second thing. Let's look at verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I love it. Jesus asks them a question. Like, what's up with that? Jesus knows the answer, right? So why is he asking them a question? Principle number two. Jesus' questions are an invitation into revelation. Whenever Jesus asks you a question, it's, because, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> okay? That's not the reason. He's asking you a question because he's inviting you to find out more about who he is. Like, just think about how relational God is. Like, when you're in a conversation with someone, isn't your favorite thing when they ask you a question and you get to engage? Like, that just changes the dynamic of the conversation. It's the same way with God. He wants to have a conversation with us. He wants to live and breathe and, and speak and talk with us. And not for it just to be like God talking to us. He wants us to engage back with him. He wants to have a conversation with us. Um, think about if you're on a date and all someone did the whole time was just talk at you. That's not relational, right? Like you want to be asked questions. You want to ask them questions. It's the same way with God. He wants us to engage into a relationship with him, a conversation. Um, this principle really came through for me powerfully this past month and a half of my life. If, you don't, if you're not like up to date with Jen and I, back in uh, May at our first ultrasound, so, so Jen was pregnant, at our first ultrasound, there was no heartbeat. And then we went into a month-long ordeal of trying to, just, you know, pray and contend for resurrection. It all culminated about a couple weeks ago and having a miscarriage. Really um, big bummer, you know. But early on, in that, early on in that process, just two days after that first ultrasound, or maybe the next day, I can't remember, I was spending some time with God. I was just praying and uh, like asking him what I needed to do. I was asking him questions. And I felt like he spoke to me and he said, Wilson, your goal right now is to focus on Jen. Like your priority until this is resolved, is just to place all your focus and attention on your wife. 
How you focus on her, how you love her during this time is going to have a direct effect on how she heals from this. Whether it ends good or bad, God, like this is what I felt like God was saying to me. It was a very conversational moment. It's not every day that I have a conversation that clear with God, but these are one of those moments where he was saying, hey, how much you focus on her, how much you focus on her, how much you give her attention right now and, and uh, processes all through the filter of her is going to determine how well she heals. Whether this ends good or bad, it's going to determine how well she heals. I was able to hang on to that. That gave me life. That gave me purpose. That gave me direction for the next month. That kept me sane. And it came from a conversation with God. It came from knowing that he wants to be asked questions. He wants to ask us questions. He wants to pay attention to hold on to those moments. Principle number three, moving right along. We're going to look, actually, to introduce it, verse 19. Wait, no, not verse 19. Yeah, verse 19. <laughs> All right. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. What are they doing here? Principle number three, they're focusing on what they do know about Jesus. They're focusing on what they do know about Jesus. There's ever a time that they've been confused in their entire lives. It would be after the man that they saw raising the dead, claiming to be the son of God, dying. That would be an easy time to start talking about, they're like, what are you guys talking about? Maybe what came out of my mouth, if, G, if someone came and asked me, that, I'm talking about this crazy guy I followed for, you know, like the past three years of my life. I wasted my life following this dude. He's dead now. He, I think he was just lying to me the whole time. How easy would that have been in that moment of distress, that moment of confusion? But what they did, they focused on what they did know about Jesus. He was a prophet. Like that's, at that point, that was all the revelation their hearts could take about Jesus. It wasn't until after he rose from the dead that they could really say, okay, he is the son of God. But at that point, they're just stewarding what they did know about Jesus. He's a prophet. He's mighty indeed among me, amongst men and God. This point is especially important when we're going through crisis. The more confused you are, the harder things are, the more you need to focus on what you do know about Jesus. I love the example of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, Nebuchadnezzar comes and threatens them and says, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace if you don't worship this idol. And they say back, <coughs> they say back, our God is able to save us. How easy would it have been for them to get focused on the hot furnace or like potentially dying at any moment or how everyone else around them is bowing down to this idol. But they don't. That's not what they focus on. They focus on what they did know about God. They knew that God was able to save them. They drew their attention to who God was, not their circumstances. This is like a key thing to do when we're going through a time of trouble, when we're um, going through a hard thing, is to focus on what we do know about Jesus. You're only accountable for what you do know about God. Or not, you're, that's not all you're accountable for, but that's the main thing you're accountable for, is what you do know about God. That's what you need to carry. That's what you need to steward. That's what we need to hold on to testimonies. All right, next couple points. Um, verse 27. So quick summarization. To create an atmosphere, to steward an atmosphere that values God's presence. One, Jesus is attracted to community that is centered around him. Two, Jesus' questions are an invitation into revelation. Three, focus on what you do know about Jesus. Verse 27. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Principle number four, find Jesus everywhere in the Bible. Find Jesus everywhere in the Bible. Who's ever had like a Where's Waldo book? Right? Like, I feel like sometimes the Bible and with Jesus in it is kind of like Where's Waldo? <laughs> like, especially the Old Testament. Sometimes you're reading the Old Testament, you're like, where the heck is Waldo? Like, I am not, I am not seeing Jesus in this. I don't get it. Like, what? All these people were killed. God said to do this, that. Like, where's, where's Jesus in that? Okay. The point is to find him in it. And the deeper you have to search, the harder you have to look, the greater the revelation is probably going to be. Okay. Contend for that. Find Jesus in everything you read in the Bible. See, we have the word, right? This is the word of God. And Jesus himself is also the word. What's the difference? Jesus is the capital W word. Jesus is the living word of God. Without the living word, we'll never understand the written word. We have to have a relation. That's why this book is written to Christians. Because without Christ in you, without the Holy Spirit in you, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any sense. We have to, we have to pay attention and focus on the living word to understand the written word. All right, point five in verse 29. This is going to be my last point, and then we're going to worship. Verse 29 says, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Here's, here's what popped out to my head when I read that. Get around those who have been around. Get around people who have been around, okay? This is the number one way to grow. This is the number one way to, you know, the, the way we experience more of God's presence is by knowing more about Jesus, okay? The more you understand about Jesus, the greater revelation you have, the more he's going to expose himself to you. The more you're going to actually realize that it's Jesus. It's not a coincidence. It's actually Jesus you're feeling. And the, the number one way I would encourage you to grow in that is by getting around those who have been around, the way I grew in power evangelism was by watching Robbie Dawkins' videos and then mimicking him, doing exactly what he did, his exact words. I'd go out and say, hey, this might sound weird, but I was wondering if I could pray for you. And they'd go, blah, 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 okay. Jesus, I thank you for healing power. Like his exact prayer, I would pray his prayer. And I would start seeing people healed. It's because God honors it when we, start, when we look at other people where they've already gone and we just fall in their footsteps. One of the things that helped me dive deeper into scripture was being around Luke a lot. Luke is like such a love for the word. I was like, hey, if I want to understand the Bible more, I'm just going to get around Luke more. And I've understood it more since being around him and since listening to him. It's not just like, it's not just an osmosis thing. It's about actually listening to people, actively listening to people who've been around longer than you, submitting to them, taking their advice, following what they, what, what, learning from their mistakes, See, in house group, we want a culture of discipleship, right? We want it to be a culture where everybody is discipling someone. Well, first, you should be discipled, okay? For a healthy culture of discipleship, not only should you disciple others, you should be discipled. There should be people that you're submitting to in your life. Whether you're 10 days old in God or 1,000 days old in God, there should be people you are looking to that are helping you along the way. For me, someone in this, another person in this, is Michael Level. I have a real, like, healthy like godly jealousy for that guy, okay? 
If you guys don't know Micah, he's an awesome dude. He lives up in Springfield, um, Springfield, Ohio. And he's been, like in the past two or three weeks, I think it's two weeks, he, him and his dad have personally led like 27 people to Jesus. Like if you just go on his Facebook and see every day they're posting a post about, hey, Derek at Walmart just, you know, got saved. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, and then two posts later the next day, hey, Rich in my neighborhood, he had a bum knee. I prayed for him. He got healed and he accepted Jesus. And so this was kind of stirring something in me. And I was talking to Jen yesterday. I, was ta- I tried to mute it, but I accidentally uh, didn't. <laughs> so I was talking to Jen the other day about like, man, I want to see more people saved. Like, like I, I don't feel like insecure. I'm not like feeling like Mike is better than me, but it's awakening within me something that's possible. You know, when we have a healthy jealousy for other people, when we, when we look at what other people are doing that's going well and saying, wow, there's, I see God in that. It actually will release faith into your life. When we recognize when God's moving in other people's life, it opens faith in our life to experience the same thing. I was at Walgreens yesterday, right before house group. And um, the first person I walked by, I asked, like, hey, can you use prayer for anything? No, just get away from me. I'm like, okay. So I walked by him. I go get the thing I need. He didn't really say get away from me, but like, he didn't have to use those words. All of his nonverbals were communicating, just move along. So like, okay. So I get the thing I'm buying and I start walking towards the cash register. And as I walk up to the cash register, I just get this sense like, hey, um, I, I, I want to give this girl a word. And like, I felt like God just spoke a word to me for this girl. And I, or I, I didn't know it was a girl yet. I didn't know who, who it was. I hadn't gotten to the cash, cashier yet. But I just felt like God said to me, um, your cashier has been through a lot in life, but they're really resilient. And they've really like um, held on and they haven't let all the things they've been through, like, you know, mess up their heart and their perception of the world. And so I just get to the cash register and I get there and it's just like, you know, 17 year old girl that looks like just look, looks great and everything. And I'm just like, okay, is this really for her? I was expecting to see some like ex-con, you know, like tatted up person with a limp and a scar on their face. I'm like, it's gonna be a powerful word, you know, like what well, you've been through doesn't matter. And she's just like, hi, I'll take your order in Walgreens, yeah. And like, she's like, hey, um, after she, after she uh, scans my thing, I just go, hey, uh, can I tell you something I think is going to make you smile? She's like, yeah. And I just go, you know, I just, when I look at you, I see someone who's been through a lot in their life. Like, I feel like you've been through a lot, but I felt like God was saying that you've really been resilient through all that. And you've kept a really good heart and you haven't let it mess up your perception of the world. And as soon as I said those words, you could just see God's presence begin to rest on her. Just right away, her face got beet red and her eyes get so glassy, like almost brimmed over with tears. And I'm just like, I'm as shocked as she is at what's happening. I'm like, wow, uh, you know, Jesus loves you. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, does that make any sense to you? Did that like ring a bell? She just goes, yeah, that's like, I don't know how you knew that. That's exactly, like, that's me. And I said, well, hey, like, I didn't know that. That's actually Jesus. And he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's never done anything to hurt you, ever. And he just wants you to know that he loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. And he's just, like, seeking you out for a deeper relationship, a deeper connection. And um, really quick tip. I've learned not to just tell people straight up, like, God wants a relationship with you. Because you don't know if they have a relationship with God or not. So I always like to add that word, he wants a deeper relationship with you. Or he wants 
you to know him better. Because that leaves a window for them to not be like offended and be like, oh, you assume I'm not a Christian, whatever. So I just said, he wants a deeper relationship with you. She goes, really? I said, yeah, like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you ever entered into a personal, personal relationship with him? She's like, no, I haven't. I said, well, do you want to right now? I was like, it's going to be the best decision you'll ever make. It's going to be like the best feeling. It'll be the best thing ever. Trust me. And, um, you know, we should kind of like hype the gospel to people. Like, I, sh- it, I used to think you should never like coerce someone. You should be like, would you like to receive Jesus? No pressure. Like, if you want to, think about it and I'll come back next week. And maybe then if you want, you can have prayed about accepting Jesus or not. But no, like the gospel is good news. Okay. Like it's impossible to overhype the gospel. So I said, it's amazing. It's going to be so great. Your life is going to be changed and transformed. If you, if you receive Jesus in your life right now, she goes, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so I just led her through a quick sinner's prayer right there as like this dude is walking up to, you know, buy greasy cups and she's sitting there crying and saying like, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. And um, I just like wrote down, I just gave her a house group card and wrote down my phone number. I said, hey, like just text me sometime and I'd love you to meet my wife and I love you to come to house group. But um, all of that came just from getting around those who have been around. I saw what was happening in Micah's life. I saw what was happening to him. And I said, hey, that's not just for Micah. Okay. Seeing if someone led to Jesus every day isn't a special thing about Micah. That's a special thing about Jesus. And Jesus is in me as much as Micah. So I want to start seeing that. So I just went after it. And then when I saw God's presence land on her, I went in for the kill. Because when God's presence is there, it's like, dude, like something is about to happen. We can't take his presence for granted. So you just want to stand up with me. There's no like really clean landing to my message right now. But um, we're just going to dive deep into his presence right now. Okay? Like expect to experience God's presence in a way you never have as we worship. Worship band, come on out. Um, But just expect like, hey, God's presence is something good for me. It's going to change me. It's going to transform me. And, And as he enters the room, just start to be aware Start to acknowledge what you're feeling. Don't let it just slip by. Don't just let it be goosebumps. Realize, hey, wow, like I felt it. I felt a chill on my spine. That must have been like how I, one of the ways I experienced God's presence. But be intentional. Steward it. Think about it. You can only give away what you're stewarding and what you're aware of, okay? So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to worship. And um, there's going to be an amazing party tonight tonight. Uh, as we have hot dogs and play cornhole and stuff in the back, I'd really encourage you to come hang out. It's going to be super fun. Um, there's going to be even face painting. So uh, you can get your face painted to look like me if you want. It'd be really cool. But I'm just going to pray, then we're going to worship. So Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you designed our bodies to experience your presence. Thank you that it was no mistake. It's no coincidence that we're able to experience you. So I just bless that. And I just pray for anyone in this room who's felt anxious about this, who have never has felt his presence. I just speak freedom over you, just to release from any performance, any anxiety about this. But we just welcome you, Father, to come and give hugs. I welcome you, Father, to come and just give hugs to your children tonight. We love you. We want to know you more. We want to be transformed at any cost. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, we want to know you better. Come, Holy Spirit. You unravel me